Welcome back to EV News Daily. Coming up today, VW's spicy ID3 GTI version. Rivian owners top the satisfaction survey and Tesla opens up Giga Berlin to the public. Plus, stay tuned because later in the show, I'll tell you what Panasonic's saying about EV battery tech getting better. I'm Martin Lee and I go through hundreds of articles, feeds and stories a day. So you don't have to. Uh, We should be live at 8am UK, that's 5am Eastern, to start a brand new day with EV News. But I'm a little late today, so apologies for that. Patreon supporters get the episodes, though, as soon as they're ready and ad-free. Be like them by clicking on a link in the show notes. And I'll start with an apology. So YouTube, yesterday YouTube offered me the option of adding the RSS feed for this podcast, which is, if you don't know about podcasts... It's an open source thing, and it's just the code that all the different pod apps around the world, Apple, Google, whatever, uh, Overcast, etc., look for. And uh, you can take it with you when you move hosts. It's like a URL, really, but um, your RSS feed. And and YouTube has always been a video platform, but now YouTube are doing podcasts. And they say, oh, a new feature. You can put your RSS feed in, and we'll publish your podcast, and, and you can make it a separate part of your channel. So I did. And I didn't realize uh, that they just published 510 podcasts into my channel. Uh, And I got emails from listeners and comments going, "Um, (laughs) why have you uploaded 500 videos today? I'm sorry. Uh, The idea is that the audio version of this goes out on YouTube with just the logo on screen. And then I'll work out my video strategy another day. Uh, But um, (laughs) I didn't think it was going to do that. If I've spammed you today uh, because you subscribe to me on YouTube, EV News Daily Podcast, uh, with 500 notifications, I'm very sorry I didn't know it was going to do that. Right, let's start with Stellantis achieving growth in the European EV market last year. A reported 5.9% increase in vehicle registrations. The company now holds an 18.4% of the European car market here. Uh, the growth reinforces their position as the second biggest automotive group in the sort of 29 European states. But we want to know, well, markets really, I should say, we want to know about electric vehicles, don't we? Well, in the fully electric vehicle, the BEV segment, Stellantis was up 14%, a lot more than their overall 6% increase. Uh, the company's BEV market share in Europe is 14.2%. Popular Stellantis BEV models include the Fiat 500 E, which is the number one EV in many countries, uh, the Opel slash Vauxhall Corsa Electric, the Peugeot E208, and many more. Stellantis' plans to launch several new BEV models in the upcoming year are in place, and the company aims to double its all-electric offerings in Europe by the end of 2024. Link in the show notes if you'd like to find out more. Now, headline story today in the upcoming VW ID3 Spicy version, which maybe they should just call it the ID3 Spicy, uh, is either going to be called the GTX or possibly the GTI. Now, GTX, until now, in the new VW world of ID letters, has meant all-wheel drive. There's no room, I believe, in the ID3 to re-engineer it. So it maintains its rear-wheel drive configuration. The brand's head, Thomas Schaefer, uh, refuted earlier claims that there would be an all-wheel drive version of the ID3 coming out sometime this year. So whether we call it the GTX, the GTI, you know, I'm, I've long made my feelings known on this. I think that the VW ID thing was a good experiment, but really it should just be called the Golf GTI Electric. Like Porsche have the Taycan Turbo. And the Turbo S, there's no turbo in it. So the company, the, the parent company, are okay with making those references to the old world. 
automotive version of skeuomorphism, if you will. But whether it's called the ID3 GTX or whatever, we think it will certainly use the new motors, which we've talked a lot about here, the AP550s. Now, the APP550s are an upgrade from the 310s. Uh, they're used in the new Volkswagen ID7, for instance. 281 horsepower from this motor. Sticking that in the back of an ID3 would make it properly spicy and the most powerful current version uh, different specs around the world are called different things but knowing it as the pro s version this hot id3 would have 80 horsepower more with better cooling new windings uh, what else uh, there's a new efficient inverter in it isn't there and anticipation is high i think regarding the performance of this it's certainly not going to set ev world alight and redefine ev world but i, I like these kind of vehicles coming along it widens the pool of cars that we can buy you and i as customers now audi is reporting a 51 percent increase in their global ev sales last year audi's total global car sales for last year rose by 20 percent. i talked about it i don't know three four days ago on the podcast they were uh the full audi brand globally was 1.9 million and of course tesla was 1.8 million so my story last week was how tesla with only electric cars, are close to overtaking all of Audi. But Audi had a great year, so they pulled ahead uh, just. It'll probably uh, reverse this time next year, you would think. But we want to know about electric cars. Electric vehicles now constitute 10% of Audi's global sales. In the last quarter of the year, Audi sold 55,500 all-electric cars, up 34% on the same time last year. That was 11% of all their total sales just on the quarter. Well, the Q4 e-tron and the Sportback version of that is the number one seller in the Audi lineup. That's similar to VW's ID4 and 5, if you want. Audi's all-electric BEV sales last year, like I say, up 51% to 178,500 vehicles globally. And if you look at the big sellers, the Q4 e-tron and the Sportback was 111,000. The Q8 e-tron, as it's now called, and its Sportback version, previously e-tron, uh, was about 50,000, and other models about 17,000, 18,000. They don't break out the numbers for the plug-in hybrids, but they do have a bunch of those um, as well. Looking forward to the next Audi, which is the Q6, in case you're keeping score. Uh, the Q6 e-tron is going to be their version of the Porsche Macan electric, which that should be coming this month, because all the test drives are happening at the moment, or have happened in some countries. So I think it's a January launch of the Macan. Anyway, I digress, as usual. Uh, The premium platform electric is what they're built on. Uh, 800-volt architecture. They say 270-kilowatt DC fast charging, but I wonder if I'll try and nudge that up just a little bit. They've taken all the things that are great about the old platform uh, with the Taycan and the e-tron GT and dialed them all up. And I can't wait for these new cars like the Macan and the Audi Q6 e-tron. Going to be very, very compelling cars. Now, let's go to the Netherlands. Because... They recorded 14,000 plug-in registrations last month in December. That's a 52% market share for plug-in vehicles. Full BEVs, 42%. Add the hybrids, 52%. Over the year, it was slightly down. Uh, Full BEVs are 31%. That's still amazing. One in three new cars sold a full electric. Uh, The Dutch love their EVs, and the growth of it suggests that 
on this track that the Netherlands could well be 100% BEV well ahead of the European Union's 2035 vehicle mandate. Tesla dominating the market there. Model Y, you won't be surprised to hear number one. Model 3, you might be surprised to hear because Model 3 is up and down in places. I think people are moving on a little bit. From the the Model 3? I'm not. I love it. But um, uh, the Highland edition, so-called Highland, hasn't set the world alight, at least I would say that. Model Y, though, on the the other hand, is just a beast. Number one everywhere. Uh, The Volvo XC40 was in third place. And the overall top 10 vehicles in the country, regardless of powertrain, uh, five of them were BEVs. So... And that top three, by the way, were the top three vehicles in the country. So Y3 XC40. Now, I mentioned Porsche a moment ago. Record-breaking Q4 numbers for the Taycan. Obviously, it's that time of the the, the month where we're getting all the the sales figures from the previous month in. And all the various uh, versions, Taycan, Cross Turismo, GTS, had a big increase in the second half of last year. It may be a little, little long in the tooth. I'm not sure I can say that. It still seems pretty fresh to me. But it's having a fantastic time in the sales figures. Tycon sales accounted for 16.5% of all of Porsche. It's amazing, isn't it? How big Porsche is. And, and, you know, heading towards one in five vehicles they sell, being just that single electric model. Hey, you wait until McCann is out. Mark my words, that is going to be on a different scale to the Tycon. Interesting thing happening with the Taycan in the used market. Uh, it's brutal, by the way. So if you own one, ah, commiserations. Uh, it's okay. I just lost 13 grand on a Kona that I owned for 18 months because I owned it through the worst EV ownership period of the last 10 years. Um, and so I know what depreci- depreciation feels like. I feel it personally very much at the moment, uh, having lost a ton of money on that car. But Taycan owners, uh, yeah, look away now. If you're buying a used Taycan, and I think that is also helping demand for used ones, uh, there's something about that model. Well, it's all the it's all the versions of the Taycan. There's something about it. It's just had big depreciation on the last 12 to 18 months. It's just allowing more and more people to get into that vehicle in the used market. So swings and roundabouts. Now let's talk a little bit about BMW's M cars. The M cars are the hot and spicy ones, and some M's are more M than others. Some are just badged, sort of M-engineered, and they're not a a full-blown M car from BMW. But an M car from BMW, the high-performance bit, is the number one bit of that of the company is now electric. BMW's i4, all-electric i4 M50, is now the best-selling M car. I say is now. It was in 2022, and it was again in 2023, giving a bit of a bloody nose to those people who are hanging on to combustion by their fingernails and their nose somewhat out of joint that their beloved M brand is being dominated by, well, electric vehicles. Uh, The M performance cars like uh, the i4 M50 that I mentioned, essentially a BMWs with an M badge on the back with a bit of enhancement rather than you could say, you know, a, a full, you know, M3 or something. But either way, it's interesting that in so many of these stories that we do day in, day out, the, the cars that are holding up, that are propping up the growth stories in so many car companies, it's always the electric ones. We'll take a break in a second, come back, and we'll talk about Rivian and Tesla and new batteries from Panasonic and all that and more. Stick around. Well, if you heard an advert, or maybe two, 
because you're listening to the free version. Well, firstly, thank you. I get a little bit of money, a teeny tiny bit of money from the adverts, and that goes to pay some of the bills. But the Patreon is really the way that I, uh, I earn a living, actually. Crazy, isn't it? Who'd have thought this could be a career five years ago? A website called Patreon pays my mortgage. Insane. P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash evnewsdaily. And that's now my job. And that is all I do, is this. And if you'd like to support the podcast and strip out the ads so you get your ad-free feed and you get the podcasts first, uh, check out my Patreon page. Five, ten dollars a month, be an exec producer. It's a couple of posh coffees. And you can get this information on the air, around the world, spreading the good word about EVs every single day. You can do that. Now, Rivians uh, are coming out top in Consumer Reports Satisfaction Surveys. Now, the Consumer Reports Satisfaction Survey is always a little bit of an interesting one because you're asking people how satisfied they are based on a bunch of metrics, based on what they were expecting, and also those kind of buyers of different price point vehicles. Very difficult to compare. But either way, uh, according to their own index, the Rivian R1T is the most satisfying electric vehicle, don't you know? Uh, The R1S is the sixth uh, giving the most satisfaction, with 84% of owners would buy it again. Uh, The R1T, 88% of owners would buy it again. And the Hyundai Arnix 6 was 10th place. 81% of Arnix 6 owners saying that they would buy and repurchase. Now, Rivian also, uh, this is a a real quickie, uh, the... 2022 Rivian Impact Report, which is uh, their social impact, their environmental impact, renewables, etc. It's the first one they've published. It's 100 pages long. Now, admittedly, the last few slides are a lot of data and things like that. But I sat down to read this, uh, not expecting to get any stories from for the podcast. It was published about a week ago. I've been sitting on it um, inside my to-do list. And so really, really interesting. I will say that it's clear to me Rivian is a company that takes their responsibility very seriously. And whether that's your thing or not, it was an incredible report to read, to get a sense, because we don't get Rivians over here. So, um, you know, somebody's imported a Rivian over here, which I've been in, but um, let's sell them over here. And so it was really interesting to get um, under the skin of how that company feels, you know, from a, from a board level. Uh, anyway, uh, I digress. Um, but there was a paragraph on the R2 product line, which I thought, well, that's, that's kind of newsworthy, actually. Uh, Rivian is developing their next-gen product line. We know it's called the R2, unlike the R1S and the R1T, uh, focusing on a mid-size form factor and more affordability than the current cars. The R2 will incorporate core qualities of their current products at a lower price point. The design, the hardware, and the software integration, the manufacturing process engineering, the key focus is for their current business, and Rivian will use everything they've learned from the R1 series to reduce costs, but keep high performance, they say, and re- will reveal them in 2024. So I think we knew that they were aiming for a 2024 reveal, but either way, uh, sort of a hard number on that. Hopefully we will still see the full vehicles sometime this year. Anyway, I'll put a link in the show notes to that PDF, uh, which is... You click on it right now in my show notes. Uh, that goes to the uh, Rivian.com kind of corporate site. And, and you can have a look at what is called Impact Report 2022. Yes, it is correct. This is the calendar year uh, 22. Very, very interesting. Even if you just read the first, the first page from RJ Scarring, the CEO, uh, very interesting. Now, uh, let's talk a little bit about Tesla. Uh, detailing how, what they will do at Giga Berlin for the public. 
Tesla hosted an informal event yesterday at their Berlin Gigafactory to outline expansion plans. The event was in the lobby of Giga Berlin. Uh, so you don't, exactly, you don't get a tour of where they make the Model Ys. But local community members could turn up, talk to people from Tesla about the proposed rail yard and the logistics that they're doing. Uh, they could look at graphics and detailed information about the project, including the freight station and the railway. They're putting in expanded materials, storage and social and employee facilities, uh, the training rooms, the childcare area, all that kind of stuff. So the expansion is planned to the east of Giga Berlin. This isn't about adding production or increasing the water usage, etc. Uh, no environmental concerns, um, but they are conducting weekly consultations uh, right now for any citizen in the area. Every Thursday at the Gigafactory, there's a month-long voting period for local citizens because I get the feeling with, with Giga Berlin, there's a very successful anti-Tesla local community group. And as is always the way, if I go back to my previous career running radio stations and being a, a broadcaster in a regulated industry. So when I was at stations like Absolute and Magic and the rest, uh, we were regulated by Ofcom, which I regulate. It took one complaint to cause a lot of disruption to the business because you have to take everything seriously. So people know who to complain to. Um, and sometimes it was genuine because you know, mistakes happen and things like that, or the, you know a, a record gets loaded in and it was the sweary version, not the clean version. It was before 9pm and you've got to hold your hands up and go, sorry about that. Um, but one complaint can do it. I get the feeling. And you know sometimes it's genuine, sometimes it's a pain in the backside, but either way, you've got to take it all seriously. Um, I get the feeling that's the case with... with some elements of Giga Berlin. There's a very, very well-organized, small, vocal minority. So I think what Tesla's doing is very, very smart, is they're engaging the local community, saying, hey, come and have a look at the factory. Come and see what we're doing. See how much water usage is so much less than we even applied for. Um, hopefully they'll shift public opinion. We'll see. Now let's talk about um, one of the mainstream car websites called Car and Driver, looking at this underlying narrative of the last six months that there's some sort of struggle in EV world where people demand is dropping off and all that kind of stuff. I thought, oh, this is interesting. So Car and Driver, very famous, obviously. They're having a look at this sort of long debunked, but weird kind of mainstream media fascination with the growth story in EVs cooling off. And EV sales growth did slow. Not it wasn't in decline. It was just the growth slowed. But it's been on a rip for the last few years, and it can't carry on at three, four hundred percent forever. Influenced by factors like very high consumer interest rates, a scarcity of some models, and uh, concerns about public EV charging. That's a legitimate concern. General Motors and Ford have been vocal as well. And when they talk, people listen. And they've delayed investments in an EV battery technology. Uh, in the case of GM, they've missed their targets. Notable new EV models arriving, though, from the companies that are all in, the likes of the South Koreans, the Kia EV9 has more space, more affordability than its competitors. And it's against the EQS, SUV, the R1S, the Model X from Tesla. It's a very compelling vehicle. Hyundai's Arnic 7 is coming this year at its EV-only plant in Georgia, opening by the end of this year. But General Motors, on the other hand, a company that talked big on EVs, and said how they're going to dominate in electric world with their Ultium technology, has fallen massively short. And that has given people the impression that there's some sort of struggle in electric vehicle world. They talk about how only 13,000, 14,000 Ultium EVs were sold last year, when the number should have been 
400,000 by the middle of this year. That's how much GM have dropped the ball. Now, they did deliver 76,000 EVs last year, but they were all bolts. (laughs) And what have they just stopped production of? Yeah, you guessed it. Well, Ford as well, talking about how they might make more plug-in hybrids for now versus full EVs. Remember as well that US, the the EV market in the US, not mean to offend anybody here, it really isn't a big deal on the global scale. It seems like it because Tesla are based there and the big names are there as well. But compared to China and Europe, where the Chinese manufacturers are making vehicles that are sold everywhere from the likes of the Polestar 2 to the Volvo EX30 to the Chinese names as well. That's where all the majority of the sales are happening. And the US, is it like 10 or 11% of the global EV market, even on the Ford projections? So it takes up a disproportionate amount of oxygen from the room when the US automakers should obviously be listened to when they do these kind of things. But they're not the bellwether of the EV industry. They're not the primary hub for EV sales or indeed, like to GM, EV innovation. They desperately need a good year this year. Let's hope they have it. It's interesting. A very balanced article there from Car and Driver. Very, very interesting. Now, Bloomberg took a look at the innovations happening in the automotive world and they drew the conclusion that you and I know already that all the best innovations are happening in... Electric vehicles. So if you want gesture-controlled stereos, get the electric BMW iX. If you want built-in air compressors to inflate your tyres, get a Rivian. And if you'd like a rotating tenter screen, get a Fisker. Other innovations, things like Polestar's adaptive air filter, the noise cancellation in the Genesis cars, and uh, the movable centre bit in the Nissan Aria, all those innovations that some are high-tech, some are not, all the exciting stuff in automotive world is happening in electric vehicles from oversized screens to over-the-air updates all driven by evs now back to the beginning of this uh, podcast and a headline story today panasonic is launching enhanced ev batteries this year releasing an upgraded version of their 2170 form factor 2170 is just the size of the cells it doesn't dictate what goes inside them and they say they will increase the energy density of the 2170s this year and increase manufacturing by 10 percent for 2025 with no new lines needed of course the nevada battery factory production lines a joint venture with Tesla and Panasonic, one of the OGs, actually. We talk about CATL a lot these days and the Chinese battery makers. Uh, uh, you know, go back Model S, Model... Well, just Model S days, really. And it was just Panasonic and Tesla we were talking about with batteries. And so um, they're opening up their second battery plant in Kansas. Uh, plans to announce a third by the end of the year and increasing battery production to 200 gigawatt hours by 2030. Now, let's go to Germany, where E.ON, the energy company, has opened up a new testing lab in Germany with 25 test stations and five climate chambers across 10,000 square metres for anyone that wants to go and test electric vehicles, so car makers and um, component manufacturers. They've got charging stations, wall boxes, accessories and climate changes, uh, climate chambers to simulate temperatures from minus 40 Celsius to plus 50 Celsius. It saves some real-world testing, and you can sell these spaces to OEMs and charging equipment makers, all sorts. E.ON offering training programs for installers and maintainers as well. E.ON themselves want to put a thousand high power charging points into European markets annually. In Germany alone, they've got federal funding for 1,200 charging points as part of the Deutschland Netz 
National Network, if I have said that correctly. Now, let's talk about uh, a quick thing that I saw on YouTube that you might want to watch if you have five minutes, and that is the brilliant Matt Farah from The Smoking Tire. Now, I normally watch The Smoking Tire podcast, uh, but then it, I kind of forget that the videos that he makes, and actually his writing as a journalist, is where so much of... His expertise can be found. I, I love him as a content creator, have done for such a long time. And Porsche invited him out to go and play with a new concept that they are, have made. And the all-electric racing series that could come off the back of this Cayman GT4. So he got uh, flown to the Arctic Circle, I think it was. And I watched the video earlier today. Such a good presenter as well. And he's racing this all-electric Porsche concept on studded snow tyres, and they've replaced the 3.8-litre engine with a dual-electric motor setup, 60-kilowatt-hour battery, which isn't the biggest, but they say that if this car makes its way into an all-electric racing series, 60-kilowatt-hours is effectively a 90-kilowatt-hour battery because racing is all about hard stops, and so it's going very fast, braking very hard, accelerating very hard, and they recover so much of the energy in regen. Anyway, they're giving the car a 1,000 horsepower, and they said that a 60-kilowatt-hour battery could give you, with all of the regen, a 30-minute race with these cars, uh, a 600-horsepower dialed down a little bit. Now, uh, in the absence of a charging infrastructure in the Arctic Circle, they brought along their semi-trucks that have got the charging on board. I've told you about it before. Um, it's got sort of two megawatts of power. They've um, shown these off many times. I've talked about them many times. It's the back of a truck, and it's got DC fast chargers in and battery storage. And uh, uh, that's how they charge the vehicles when they're doing this kind of stuff. There's even an oversteer pedal, uh, which controls two independent motors, the front and the rear, to enhance cornering and rotation. Have a look at the video if you're into that kind of stuff, because I thought it was a really cool thing. There's so much stuff on YouTube that I try and recommend the really good stuff. But anyway, that's your podcast for today. Thanks to our premier partners, Porsche of the Village of Cincinnati, Audi of Cincinnati East, Volvo Cars of Cincinnati East, National Car Charging on the US mainland and Aloha Charge in Hawaii, Derek Riley and Nevo.ie. Ireland's first electric vehicle show is with the Bank of Ireland on Feb 17th in Dublin. Get your free tickets and info at Nevo.ie. Octopus Electroverse, global public charging made simple with one map and one app and lease plan electric moments, providing all the tools and guidance EV drivers need. Have a good one. See you tomorrow. And remember, there is no such thing as a self-charging hybrid.